And uh, basically, the way we got started is we had a vision to uh, start drawing together uh, people from different churches and ministries in our city. And the vision was to do prayer and worship on uh, Friday night and then Saturday to mobilize teams out all across the city. And our very first time that we ever sent groups out, there was probably about 40 people that came. And on Saturday, we sent them out all over the city. And the most astounding testimonies we got when we got back was that there was a couple of children that were probably like seven or eight that went out with a group of adults. And the adults were praying for the sick. So we sent them out. We just said, go pray for the sick. Just go share the good news, like share your testimony, stuff like that. And so they started praying for people and like nothing was happening. They were, they were like praying and uh, people, you know, weren't getting healed. But God was moving. Uh, and then they started letting the kids pray and people started getting healed on the streets. The first person that got healed was a person with, uh, they had uh, joint problems. I can't remember what it's called, but they had uh, problems with their hands and their wrists. And uh, these two little kids prayed for them and they got radically healed. And it was one of the first times we ever saw a miracle happen out in our outreaches. And it wasn't through the adults. It wasn't through the ministers. It was through the children. And so I'm glad that the kids are here because I know that God can use uh, the children and the youth in a powerful way. Amen? Awesome. I want to pray, uh, just pray for the training and pray that the Lord would um, just do incredible things. We have about two and a half hours, and um, let's just go to the Lord right now. Just take just a, a minute break. Father, we thank you for this food again. We thank you for your presence here. Holy Spirit, come. Take over. Lord, do everything that you want to do. We give you permission to just come and have your way. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so pull out your booklets right here. Show me your booklets if you got them. All right. So if you guys will, uh, we're going to look at the the booklets tonight. Um, These booklets actually have six sessions that are in them. Uh, We're not going to go through all the sessions because we don't have time tonight. Maybe in the future, we'll come back and we'll do more training. Um, But these sessions, if you uh, tonight, let's say you sit through what we're teaching and you say, I man, I want to hear more, I want to learn more, um, then we actually have uh, the training is available online for free. So we have a school that's available, and you can find that online. And so any of the sessions, if you're interested in learning more about that or you want to review something that we go over tonight, you can actually dive back into that online. I want you guys to uh, look at the, uh, I guess it should be the back of the front page. I don't know if yours has an image on yours. Mine is blank. Is yours blank? Okay. Some of them have an image there. I don't, I don't know why. It's, these are, yeah, see, there you go. I don't, we got gypped on the printing. Uh, some of them didn't get printed properly. Okay, so, uh, so can I see that booklet real quick? Yeah, so if you, there, there's a stack over there that actually has them. Um, but, so right here, this, uh, this explains what we're going to do tonight. This is, this is kind of the goal for the training. It says this, our goal for this training is to journey with you in discovering the joy of representing God's love and goodness in everyday situations. And here's what we're going to be talking about. We're going to talk about discovering the joy of representing Jesus in our everyday lives. And this morning, if you were here at the service that we had here, we talked about how Jesus told his disciples that he had food that they didn't know anything about, that, they, that he had this food of doing the will of the Father. And what that represents is this satisfaction that comes when we partner with the Father's will in the earth. 
And I believe that there's no greater joy than us entering into our missional calling as Christians. And I think also the opposite is true, uh, that it's extremely uh, boring and hard to follow Jesus when you're not living in your missional calling because you're missing out on the joy and the vibrancy of living out in that mission. There's like a, a, a fire and excitement. There's like something that feeds your soul and your spirit, not only when you come and you worship, not only when you study the word of God, not only when you go into your, your closet and prayer time, but there's actually something that God's put inside of you that can only be satisfied when you get out of all these comfortable places of the church, comfortable places of small groups, comfortable places of the prayer room, and you get out amongst the people and you begin to bring the kingdom of God into those places. God didn't create the ecclesia or church to exist in buildings and have a nice country club where we cheer each other on onto glory. This is a training center. This is an embassy for the kingdom of God in the midst of an earth that's literally ruled and reigned right now by Satan. And we are located in an embassy in enemy territory to be trained and equipped to take more territory for the kingdom of God. That's the purpose of this building. This building is not to make you feel better about yourself. This building and the pastors and leaders here are here to literally equip you for war because we are in battle and we are in a a war for ultimately souls and for eternal destinies. And until we begin to shift our focus of the church, the church is not the building. This is not Maranatha Church. You are not whatever church you, you, you know, the building that you go to is not your church. You are the church. And God has positioned you as an ecclesia, as a governing body, to operate as an embassy here in the earth to bring the kingdom of God everywhere you go. Until the church steps into that, we bicker, we fight, we have church splits, we have divisions, we have dissensions. Why? Because we're like huddled up in this little group and it becomes like, uh, um, we get so bored, we start picking on each other. Any, any of you guys ever had kids? You go on a really long road trip and your kids start driving you nuts because they're locked in the back seat together and they start picking on each other and pulling each other's ears and like, you guys know what I'm talking about? And you're like, I can't wait to get out of this car. What happens? They, they've been around each other a little too long. We need to get out of the car, right? The reality is so many times in the church, we get so ingrained in these religious activities thinking that this is what the church exists to be when it's not. The church exists to be trained here for our full function out there. You know, Jesus did like 95% of his ministry not within these places, not within religious bodies, but he actually did most of his ministry in the public square. You know how much ministry the average pastors and leaders do in the public square? Very little. We do very little out there. But the model of Jesus is that he would have brought it into workplaces, into businesses, into different sectors. You know, I was recently in Africa we landed in a country, our plans got immediately changed. Like basically our, our local on the ground partner, we had some weird stuff that happened. Um, and we land and all of a sudden they give us this bill that we weren't expecting for an extremely large amount of money for them. And we were like, no, we're not paying this. We didn't agree. Uh, we did not agree to this. And so we end up um, landing there and Basically, we ended up with no transportation and almost no plans in a country uh, halfway around the world. Okay, so we're, we're there, and I was just like, man, you know, this, this is a bummer, right? Because we're, we're in this foreign country. We <laughs> came thousands and thousands of miles, and now, like, what are we supposed to do? So I was like, I want to buy a guitar, and I just want to get in my hotel room and just fast and pray and worship over there. There were riots going on in the city. 
There was all kinds of things happening because of governmental uh, po political upheaval. And so we land there, and I was like, I'm going to go get a guitar. So I take uh, one of my friends, Jason. He's with me. We go, uh, we go to the music store. And while we're in the music store, we're looking for a guitar. And uh, there's this guy there who's dressed really, really nice, and he's looking at this sound machine. And I started thinking, I was like, dude, it'd be so cool to buy that sound machine, this big, uh, this, like, PA speaker with, with mics. And just go out and preach at the riots and like out in the streets. I was like, we need to get that thing. And so I started looking at it and we start talking to this guy. And he's like, he's telling us about the speaker. And we were like, cool. He's like, yeah, I think I'm going to buy it for my house. And I was like, okay. And uh, this guy is like Middle Eastern descent. He's dressed like really, really nice. Uh, and I'm in Africa. So it like stands out. And we start talking and he apparently runs an insurance company. And um, he, he meets us and like within three minutes, he's like, hey, I want you to uh, come to our insurance company tomorrow and share your testimony. And I was like, okay. He's like, you can preach tomorrow at the insurance company. I was like, uh, okay. I was like, I just met him. He said, come here. And I said, all right. So mind you, two hours before, I had no transportation and basically no plans for the rest of my time in this nation. So we follow him. He says, meet my driver. Here's my driver. He's going to pick you up at 7.45 in the morning and take you to our offices, and you're going to preach. And I said, Okay. And I was like, I don't know this guy. I don't even know this driver. Maybe they're trying to kidnap me. I don't know what's going on. And so I was just like, okay. And so, so we end up going back in, and I was like filled with faith. I was like, this is a divine appointment. So I bought the sound system, and I bought the guitar. We preached the gospel to all of the Muslim owners. They didn't want to hear anything about Jesus. And then we left. And we go back to the hotel that night, and we go to sleep. And the next morning, the driver shows up, and they take us into this insurance company. The owner or this manager guy, he doesn't come in. The manager's not a Christian, but he invited us to come and share, which I still don't understand to this day. But he invited us. He wanted us to come share with this company. So we come in, and I have like 10 minutes. So I take 10 minutes, and I share my story. And then I stop, and I said, I feel like I need to just encourage some people. And I started prophesying over people all over the room inside of an insurance company at 8 o'clock in the morning. They're all standing at their desks, like getting ready for work. And the Holy Spirit starts to fall in this insurance company. The kingdom of God just begins to crash in. We actually started seeing people get healed around the room. We, uh, like people started crying as the Lord just began to touch them. And they're in, in front of their coworkers in a, in a workplace as God's kingdom come crashing in. In fact, one of the guys came up afterwards. It was the first guy. And I had no idea if what I was about to say was from the Lord. And I stepped out and I just said, sir, I have a word for you. He said, okay, and I told him what I felt like God was saying. He comes up to me afterwards. He says, every single word that you said to me, another guy told me two weeks before, word for word, and there was a coworker that was there, and she was like, I was there two weeks ago, and he, literally everything you said was said to him two weeks ago, and the guy was just totally floored with how God had shown up in his life in that moment. We leave that meeting they invite us to come back the next day and do leadership training with their management. And then we go in and we got to pray for the manager. After, uh, after ministering to him, we uh, end up asking and he ends up giving us a car and give, giving us transportation and a driver the whole rest of our time. So what we lost when we landed, God re-gave re us within 24 hours. We had a driver and we had a car to take us anywhere we wanted to be. So the reason I want to share that story is because I believe that God wants us to bring the kingdom of God, not just in buildings, but actually in the public square, even into the business realm. God wants us to bring the kingdom of God there. He wants us to disrupt the culture and instill the kingdom culture, the kingdom values 
the values of who God is and to bring his kingdom everywhere we go. Amen? For some of you guys, you feel like this is impossible. No, it's possible. This is what we were made for. We were made to bring God's kingdom everywhere we go. And that's what it means to to follow Jesus, to be a disciple of Jesus, is to be trained to do what Jesus did. That's the role of a disciple. When a disciple would come under the teaching of a rabbi, the reason they would become a disciple was because the rabbi would one day leave his position and those disciples would eventually take that role. So the disciples had to learn everything the rabbi knew because eventually when he left, they were responsible to do everything that he did and even more. When we're disciples of Christ, we're following him to be trained to do everything that Jesus did and even more. You know, in John 14, 12, Jesus said, even greater works than these you will do. Jesus said that his disciples would even do greater works, perform greater miracles than he performed when he was upon the earth. Isn't that astounding that Jesus said that about us as disciples of Jesus Christ? Amen? All right. So turn to page four. There's a... uh, There's a link right there, TTC Reach Training. If you guys want to do the online school, you can do it right there. So if you're interested in any of the sessions that we don't cover, what I want you to do is be able to go there, and you can actually go through the whole course. And uh, there's even additional Bible reading and, and different things like that. One more thing that I want to tell you, my story, if you guys heard my testimony this morning, Uh, My mom actually wrote a book of her perspective of the healing and the breakthrough that came into our family. And this is my testimony. So it's not only meant to encourage people that are struggling with addiction, but uh, I have uh, some of these books that are still left. This is uh, my mom's testimony of being a mom dealing with someone that's struggling with addiction. And so I want to let you guys know uh, uh, about this book. Is there a mama here right now? Your kid is on drugs. Is there anyone here? Come here, mama. I want to just bless you with this book. And uh, what's, what's your son, Ashton? Son or daughter? Son. Let's pray for Ashton right now. Father, we, we thank you, Lord, that the, the, uh, the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy, Lord. And the testimony of what you did for me, Lord, you can do for Ashton. We ask you, Lord, right now to intervene in his life. God, we pray for deliverance and freedom and healing. God, even right now as I hand her this book. God, may it be a prophetic release of breakthrough into her family. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys agree? All right. Let's look at session number one. We're going to talk about identity in our first session. And you can uh, turn in your books to page number six. Before we dive into teaching, I want to explain to you kind of what we're going to do over the next couple hours. Here's what's going to happen. One, we're going to do quick teachings. Two, Uh, then you're going to respond and do activities, and then we're going to repeat that process to the end of the night. And so basically, the way that we do our learning and our workshops is we we want you to get kinesthetic knowledge of what you're learning. So much of our our training in the Western church is based on the uh, Greco-Roman learning system, which is very different historically throughout human history on how humans learn. And the Greeks and the Romans... They would basically teach philosophy from a platform like I'm doing right now. And people would sit and listen for hours. And then they they would get that thought and then they would think and chew on it and maybe discuss it and and things like that. But the reality of disciples and rabbis and much of the Eastern way of thinking was very different from the Greek and Roman way of learning. 
where when they learned, it was actually by doing. And principles and ideas were taught along the way. And so here's how I want to explain it. Learning evangelism through a teaching, like even tonight, it's going to fall short. Uh, because learning evangelism in a classroom setting and then expecting to be able to know how to do it is kind of like if I were to take the next two hours and talk to you about repairing a transmission on a Porsche. Now, most of you have no idea how to repair a transmission on a Porsche. I don't even really know what a transmission looks like on a Porsche at all. But let's pretend I do know. And I showed you all these pictures on the TV. Maybe we'll watch some really good YouTube videos, and then I send you guys home. How many of you think in two and a half hours you would feel qualified to fix a Porsche? Okay, this guy, he already knows how to do it. Uh, And that guy back there. All right, cool. But most of you, by hearing me give you this nice intellectual idea, all these ideas and pictures and charts, honestly, you're going to not know anything about an engine and a Porsche and a transmission other than maybe you might leave with a few terms that you didn't know before. And you might be able to, like, talk shop with someone next time you get your oil changed, right? Like, oh, yeah, that's a transmission. Yeah, that's that. I know, I know about that thing. And they're like, ooh, this guy obviously doesn't know anything. Not just kidding. <laughs> but... Tonight, what we're going to do is we're not only going to get the information, but I want you to get some kinesthetic knowledge. If you want to learn how to fix a transmission in a Porsche, you need to go hang out with this guy over here in a shop, and you need to probably spend some time with him. First, you need to watch him. Then you need to get your hands dirty. Then he needs to watch you and then then tell you what you're doing wrong, and then eventually you'll learn how, how to do what he's trying to teach you how to do. So much of what we try to do in the body of Christ is based on giving information and hoping that life transformation happens because of that information. And many times it does. You know, the Bible says you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free, right? Woo, come on, praise the Lord, hallelujah. But the reality is that truth doesn't just come through a preacher or a teacher in a Bible study. A lot of times you, you get a revelation of truth when you're out in the streets and you see someone get healed or you see someone get saved or you see the kingdom of God break into a certain situation. And that's such a powerful revelation of truth because it's like kinesthetic knowledge. What I mean is like it's like it creates muscle memory in your spirit where it's not just this figurative idea that you heard of out of the Bible, but you actually saw the Bible come to life in front of you. That's totally different, guys. And so what we're going to do right now is we're going to talk about a lot of things. We're going to practice some things. But honestly, if you don't take what you're learning tonight and you don't go actually apply it over the next week or two, then this will just be another nice workshop that you listened to and you felt, you felt wow, that was cool. So you, we have to apply what we're about to learn, okay? And even Jonathan and I were talking, if anyone's interested, uh, probably from like 8 to 9, we were thinking about going to the Walmart over here with just some people that want to and actually showing you how we'll go and preach the gospel and pray for people and minister to people. So if people want to do that, uh, we're thinking about taking people out because if you don't go out and see this stuff, it's really hard to understand what I'm going to be showing you, okay? Let's look at uh, session number one on identity. Who is God and who does God say that we are? So to me, knowing our identity is, is uh, extremely important for us in stepping into our missional calling. Um, I, like, I like the scripture, Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. It says, be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. Say it louder. Say mind. So when your mind is transformed, you are transformed. Your life is transformed when your thoughts are transformed. Proverbs also says, as a man thinketh thinketh in his heart, so is 
he, right? So as you think, so are you, okay? And so your understanding of your identity and your relationship to the Father and who the Father is directly ties to the way you live your life and where you're headed in your life. A.W. Tozer, there's a quote right here. It says, the most pretentious fact about any man is not what he may say or do, but what in his heart he conceives God to be like. Pretentious, I had no idea what it means, but when I looked it up, it means revealing or foreshadowing. Here's here's what it says. If you want to know where I'm going to be in five to ten years, the biggest question isn't necessarily what I'm saying or doing right now in the moment, but it's you need to dig deeper in the service and find out what I believe in my heart because what I believe in my heart will actually determine where I go. My destiny is determined by what I believe ultimately about God. And so my understanding of God and my understanding of the way that he sees me is directly connected to me reaching my destiny and my purpose in him. In fact, I think it's the most important, most crucial thing about walking with Christ is us knowing our identity. If we don't have that sealed in our hearts, we will constantly be tossed back and forth and we'll waver and we'll struggle. But when we're sealed in our identity, we know who we are in Christ we're unshakable in that truth. Amen? And so um, tonight, we're going to be talking about evangelism specifically. So I want you to look at the next quote. Whatever Jesus is to you, he will be through you. I love that quote because I believe it's very true in this sense. The way that you believe God is and the way you believe that God looks at humanity will will reflect and transform the way that you make him appear to other people or the way that you represent him to the world around you. So the moon does not generate any light, right? We know that scientifically now. We know the moon is not a generator of light, right? What does the moon do? It reflects the sun, okay? So we are not the sun, right? We're not the son of God. We are not God, okay? All we are is we're moons that are meant to reflect, okay? And so our lives are to reflect the sun, to reflect the glory of God everywhere we go, okay? But here's the issue. Our our perception of the sun and the Father and the Holy Spirit, the the way we perceive God will actually either hinder or help us reflect him accurately. And let me explain. So when you go out and do evangelism, you're going to represent or reflect the nature of God to everyone that you're talking to, Okay? If you have a misunderstanding about the nature of the Father or misunderstanding about who he says you are, you know you can actually misrepresent the Father. So you can get all the evangelism tools you want, but if you don't have an accurate understanding of your identity, you can have all the tools in your tool belt and still go out and misrepresent the Father. That's pretty scary because the last thing I want to do is misrepresent God to the people that I'm going and ministering to. How many of you guys have ever seen people that are like with bullhorns yelling at people holding up signs at like big events? Have you guys ever seen them? Okay. So honestly, on most of their posters is our Bible verses, right? And most of what they're yelling is pretty scriptural, right? It's from the Bible, a lot of it, some of it, okay? But there's something missing. Right? Don't you guys sense that? Not, I'm not saying all of them. I don't think street preachers are bad. But I'm just saying, have you guys ever seen the ones and you feel like, man, I wish they would shut up? <laughs> Why? Because they're misrepresenting your father. You're just thinking, oh my gosh, there's so many people walking past this person 
that are going to hate God more than they did before because that guy's misrepresenting my father. Here's a question I want to ask you. Is that person standing on the corner with the bullhorn with a bad motive or a good? Do they want to send people to heaven or hell? Heaven. So is their motivation bad or good? So is their motivation the problem or is their perception of the father the problem? Perception. So their understanding of the father, even with the right motivation, they can still misrepresent the father, okay? And so when we go out and we're doing evangelism, the number one thing about evangelism is not, okay, what do I say? Just, Andrew, just skip all this stuff. Stop. Just tell me what, what do I say? Like, give me the A, Bs, and Cs, and then we'll go out and I'll lead people to the Lord. No, you can get the A, Bs, and the Cs, and the one, twos, and the threes of evangelism, and still go out and really screw it up if you don't know your identity. And here's the two, here's the two issues, and, and, and then I'm going to, uh, we're going to look at a scripture. Number one, the issue is you can misrepresent the father, and number two, without understanding your identity, you can actually do it from an impure motive. So if you don't know your identity and that you're secure in your identity as a co-heir with Christ, as an ambassador, as a son and a daughter, if you're not secure in that identity, here's what you can fall into the lie and the trick of, is that you, start, you can start to believe that evangelism is somehow a way to prove to God that you are a son. If you don't know who you are, if you're not grounded in identity, suddenly works can become a way to prove that you have identity. For instance, I've seen people get activated in the gift of prophecy that are really, really young in the Lord, and suddenly they, they, go, they go crazy. Like they're like prophesying over everything, even like cows and cats. They're just giving everyone a prophetic word. Why? Because they're immature in their faith, and what they do is they start to think that their identity is rooted in their gifting. And what you see is that immaturity starts to come up as they're learning the gifts as a young Christian. And what that is, is not a reflection that they're bad. It's just that they don't know who they are yet. And so they're trying to prove that they're significant by the giftings, but they don't have to do that because they are already significant because God says so. So when you go out and do ministry, if you have a, a misrepresentation, misunderstanding of the nature of the Father, you can misrepresent him to people, but also people can sense there's, a, there's another agenda, that it's really about you proving something to yourself, to your friend, to God, and you're just talking to me because you want something. And it may not be that you want something for me, but you want something for you. And it's like you're trying to show your God that you're whatever, Right? And I'm not, I'm not picking on you. I'm just trying to make an example right now that if I'm an unbeliever and you come up to me with bad motives, I'm going to sniff that from a mile away. I'm going to know that there's another agenda other than love. And when you're not rooted in identity, what happens is, is you can get all the tools for evangelism. You can know all the apologetics. You can know all the answers to the questions of why Islam is not superior to knowing Christ. You can know all the answers to why Jehovah Witnesses are wrong. You can know, like, you know, you can study apologetics for 40 years and misrepresent the Father for all 40 years because you're not rooted in your identity. Apologetics don't lead you into your identity. The only one that can lead you into your identity is the Holy Spirit. The Bible says that you are sealed with the promised Holy Spirit and that it's the Holy Spirit by which you cry out, Abba, Father. In other words, the Spirit allows you to step into your identity as sons and daughters where you can say, he's my dad, and he's, he's in love with me, he accepts me. And what's amazing is when you come into your identity, I can represent the father to you accurately. I'm not going to misrepresent him like he's out to get you, 
I don't have to scare you into coming to Jesus by threatening you with hell. You know what I can do? I can, I can represent the Father accurately to my best ability in love. And not only that, but I can come to you with no agenda because I already know that I'm secure in the Lord. I, I can already know that I'm significant in the Lord. And so whether or not you respond or you reject me, I'm not going to lose my, my own personal feeling of security and significance based on my identity. You know, the number one, I think, fear in the body of Christ is the fear of man. You know, the Bible says that the beginning of wisdom is to fear the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. But I believe that one of the most prevalent things in the body of Christ that many times is unaddressed is the fear of man. And here's why the fear of man is so prevalent. Because the church is not walking in her identity. Here's why. Because when you aren't walking in your identity, your identity and significance and your value for yourself, you know how it's determined? By other people's perceptions. So when I'm not walking in my identity, you know how I feel significant and value? It's based on what this guy thinks of me. It's based on what she thinks of me. So you know what I do? I build my entire life, right? Facebook, social media, coming to church, dressing attire, the way I talk, the way I do everything, because what I'll do is I'll build my life so that you won't reject me, and so that you won't reject me, and so that you won't reject me, and you won't reject me, and you won't reject me. Because the worst thing for someone who doesn't know their identity is facing rejection, Because here's what rejection does to someone whose identity and value is based on other people's perception. Here's how it works. If Courtney thinks I'm awesome, I feel awesome. But if Courtney stops thinking I'm awesome and thinks I'm lame, I'm lame. Same thing with you. What's your name? So if Brad thinks I'm awesome, guess what? I feel awesome. I don't know my identity, but I feel awesome right now because you think I'm awesome. Tell me again. I'm awesome. Tell me. Yes. I feel awesome. But then suddenly I screw up just like all of us do, right? And he's like, you're lame. Say say it. Oh, my value just decreased. I need to find someone to tell me I'm awesome. Come here. Come here. Tell me I'm awesome. Yes, I feel better now. You see how it works? We ride a roller coaster when we're not on our identity. We base our our identity on what other people think. That's why we build social media platforms where people can only like what we're saying and doing. I want you to think about the apostles and the amount of rejection they faced preaching the gospel. Not only were they rejected to their faces... Not only did people blatantly oppose them, but they were actually thrown in prison. They were beaten and they were tortured. Now, I believe the apostles, when you, when you read the book of Acts and you read the, the story of the scriptures, I believe you see an example of men, specifically, because it's mostly men that the stories are about, but even women, who had overcome the fear of man in such a way that they were completely liberated from it. To the point where they would obey Jesus no matter what it cost them. When you step into your identity, you're liberated from the fear of man. When I know that I'm secure in, not, not, not like secure in myself, like I'm, I'm a man, but not that. But as a child, I say, I'm secure. I know my father accepts me. I know that he loves me. Here's what happens. If my brother, if he accepts me, if he thinks I'm awesome... I can receive that, 
But also, if he rejects me, I'm not going to feel suddenly diminished in my value. Many times we don't share the gospel with people. You know why? Number one reason, fear of rejection. Neighbors you've lived next to for 30 years. You know they're not believers. You've never told them about Jesus once. Why? Fear of rejection. Fear of man. How do we get rid of the fear of man? We step into our identities. And when we know our identities, when we know who God says that we are, you know what happens? We're liberated from that fear, and we can start to step into our missional callings. So if you want to, like tonight, you know, you heard about Take the City, you heard about being trained. If you can get this, all the rest of the stuff will start to fall into place. Because if you can overcome the fear of man, suddenly you'll start preaching the gospel to everyone you see. Why? Because you'll be following the Holy Spirit. And guess who the Holy Spirit loves? Everyone. All the time, 24-7. He loves all of them. And he wants all of them to come back to the Father. And so he wants to use you. Everywhere you go, every place you go. And the more that we can overcome the fear of man, the more we can be liberated to step into our missional callings. Amen? Look at the belief expectation cycle on page number six. Experience, belief, expectation, behavior. This is a cycle. I'm just going to go over it real quick. At the top of it, what does it say? experience. What does it say? I can't hear you guys. You got to talk to me. Okay. What is the next one? All right. And then what's the next one? And then what's the next one? And then what's the next one? Okay, cool. Let me give you a quick example of how this diagram works. Landon, who's in the back, he started playing baseball again uh, for the first time when he was like seven or eight. He had played t-ball and then took a break and then went back. And when he went back, he was really good at baseball in every area except hitting the ball. He started going to practice, and he could not hit the baseball. And it was, like, really disheartening for him. He was super frustrated, even to the point where the season started, the game start. He hasn't hit the ball once. Like, no, like, he couldn't hit the ball. It was was really, really hard. And I remember just seeing Landon just get more and more and more frustrated. And one night, we're headed to practice, and he looks at me. He's like, Dad, I can't hit the ball. I'm a terrible a hitter. And I was like, I looked at him and I said, man, I said, you know, as long as you believe that you're not going to hit the ball, you're never going to hit that baseball. And he's like, whatever, dad. And we go to practice. <laughs> and he does another couple weeks of practice. And one night at practice, the coach switches things up and he says, we're going to play a game. This game's called King of the Hill. And the way he changed the field, he made it a little easier to hit the ball. And suddenly Landon started hitting the ball, not only like in the infield, but started popping it out into the outfield in some really good places. He just kept hitting it, hitting it, hitting it, hitting it. And I'll never forget Landon coming home that night. It was like he was levitating into the house, glowing with the glory of God. It looked like he just won a million dollars. And he's like, Dad, I hit the ball. And I'm like, yes, thank you, Jesus, finally. You know? And he hit the ball. And uh, a couple days later, we finally go to the game. And we get, uh, we get to the baseball game. And how do you guys know, hitting the ball in practice is one thing, but hitting the ball at the game is another thing. So Landon was the last hitter on the, on the lineup, okay, uh, for a reason. He wasn't that good at the time. He's good now, but he was the very last hitter. And so he gets up, and I'm, like, biting my nails. I'm, like, praying, like, Lord, help him right now. Help him, help him, help Make him hit the ball, please, just even if you didn't mean to. Just make him hit it. You know, I'm just I'm begging you, Lord, make him hit the ball. And, uh, and I'm, like, you know, sweating, and he goes up the bat, and I'm just like, whoo, 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 
come on, Landon, you can do it, you can do it. And, and he's getting ready to hit the ball, and suddenly the kids in the bullpen, they start chanting something to him. And they start chanting, king of the hill, king of the hill, king of the hill, king of the hill. And the pitcher throws the ball, and whack, Landon hits the ball, and he gets on the first base. And when he gets on the first base, again, he's like levitating and glowing, and he's like more shocked than anyone else. He's like, I hit the ball! You know, he was like blown away, like, did I do it right? You know, like, was I supposed to run? Yeah, okay, I'm here. And so we were like elated and excited. And, and what I realized, I was like confused. Why were they saying king of the hill? That's a weird thing. And I remember, I was like, oh, yeah. At practice, they played this game, King of the Hill, and when they were chanting King of the Hill, they were telling Landon, they didn't do it for any of the other players. They were saying, Landon, you can hit the ball. Remember, you hit the ball the other night. Don't forget, don't forget, don't forget. And he was reminded, and he had the confidence to swing the bat. You know, I don't, I don't even think he swung the bat in any of the previous games. I think he would basically try to get walked uh, every single game. He wouldn't even swing. Why? He had no confidence that he could hit the ball. Right? And then finally, he had a breakthrough, a different experience, and it invited a new belief into his mindset, and suddenly he had new expectations when he was standing there, and he had high enough expectations where he could swing, and then he was able to deliver and hit the ball. Let's look at the, the cycle. The top of the cycle says experience. Landon's first experience that season was that he couldn't hit the ball. He would swing over and over and over again, and he wouldn't. So that led to what, what's next is a belief. He started to believe, I can't hit the ball. And then what happened is, every time he got up to bat, because he was believing that, he would expect he wasn't going to hit the ball. And so his behavior was, he wouldn't even swing when he was standing up to bat. And so what would happen? Experience, he didn't hit the ball. And so it was a self-fulfilling prophecy over and over and over and over again. And he was in this cycle. And the only way that he could break that cycle was if he would change his belief system. The belief has to change before anything in the cycle. Look at the cycle right now. The only thing that you can change is not the behavior, but the belief. You have to start with changing your beliefs before you can see a change in your behavior. Let's go all the way back to to what I was talking about, identity and evangelism. So tonight we're talking about evangelism and, and sharing our faith. And many, many times, many churches I go to I would say, you know, the large majority of the church is not reaching others for Christ and sharing the gospel. A small percentage of the church is doing it. And a lot of times, we, especially evangelists, we want to see a change in behavior. You know what change we want to see because because we're evangelists? We want to see the body of Christ sharing the gospel, reaching souls, right? That's what we want to see. Like, change your behavior. Go, right? So we pull out Acts chapter 1. We pull out Matthew chapter 28. We pull out all our favorite scriptures as preachers. And we're like, you need to go preach the gospel. You need to go preach the gospel. And you hear those sermons like every fourth quarter, right? You're like, okay, okay. I got to go share the gospel. I got to share the gospel. And then you leave, and then you don't go share the gospel. Why? Because what we're trying to do is bash you over the head to change your behavior. But the reality is until something changes in the depths of your heart and you're transformed by the renewing of your mind and you actually begin to step in your identity, it's not going to change when you're out there because your belief system has to change before your behavior will change. And in fact, a lot of times people will go to conferences on evangelism and their behavior will change temporarily, but eventually they'll revert back to, to the old, old lifestyle because ultimately it didn't change their belief and their core All it did is it just addressed their behavior, behaving differently. And only that, like behavior modification only lasts as long as, for instance, when you're driving through a speed trap on the interstate, right? 
You only slow down for a little while, but then you're going to speed right back up, right? So my prayer is not that tonight is that this would be like a little speed trap where you're like, I'm going to do evangelism, I promise, Lord. And then like two weeks later, you're like, totally forget about it. What I'm praying is that God would activate you into your missional calling to do this thing, to live the life that Jesus has called you to live. And I believe the way we break through in that is we allow the Lord to transform our beliefs, okay? And here's where I think the Lord wants to transform our beliefs. Number one, I think he wants to transform our beliefs about the Father. Number two, I believe that he wants to transform our beliefs about ourselves. And then number three, I think also the Lord wants to transform our beliefs about others around us and that we would see them properly. When we begin to step into our identity and start to believe properly, what happens is we're liberated from the fear of man. We're, we're not scared to share the good news. We're not scared of rejection. And we're liberated because we start to know, we start to believe that, God, that we are who God says that we are. Is this making sense? So I want to point to one scripture in Luke chapter 15, and then we're going to do an activity really quick, and then we're going to go to the next session. Luke chapter 15, 25 through 31. You guys are familiar with the passage. It's the uh, story of the, the lost son. In Luke chapter 15, verses 1 and 2, Luke gives the context that Jesus is talking to sinners and to religious people. And they're both sitting in different parts of the room or whatever. And he discerns in his heart that the religious people can't stand how Jesus was spending time with sinners. And that's basically all Luke gives us as far as the context of this passage. And then he goes on and and then Luke records three parables that Jesus gives. Now the first three uh, parables are essentially revealing the nature of the father that the religious and the unreligious people hadn't really thought of. The issue in the room that Jesus was addressing was their belief system. One, the sinners didn't think that they had God the father who would pursue them even in their wickedness. And two, the religious, they didn't think that God was going to go after them either. So they were both deceived by the same lie. And it all had to do with their identity and their understanding of the father. And so the way that Jesus addresses the lie in their belief system is he does this. He tells three parables. And the three parables are all about going after the lost, going after the the sheep, going after the lost coin, right? Going after the lost son. And what is he doing? He's revealing the true nature of the father. What's he going after? Their behavior? No. He's going after the core of the way that they believe about the father. The, the three parables are all about adjusting the way that they see the father. But then at the very end, he starts to just like drive the nail into the coffin as far as the point that he's trying to make. He begins to drive it in with the final point. And I actually believe that all three parables are pointing to this part. And the re- like the other parts are just setting this up. And it says his older son was in the field and he came and drew near to the house. He heard music and dancing and he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to come in. And his father came out and entreated him. But his father, but he looked at his father and he said, look, these many years I've served you. I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came who devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, son, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. I want to point out something. 
When he responds to the father, he says this, look, these many years I have served you that I might celebrate that, uh, and I've never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with your friends, with my friends. So he says this, he says, the son sees the, 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 the other son come back who squandered everything, and when he responds to the dad, he's angry and furious, and he says, look, all these years I've been serving you. In fact, if you read the New King James Version, it says this, Father, look, all these years I've slaved for you. And here's what's revealed in the story that Jesus is saying. He reveals that the problem is that this was a son who believed he was a slave. This was a son who was living as if he was a servant of the household. Positionally, which means the reality is that he was a son. He was biologically of that father, like he was a descendant of that that father. But experientially, he was a slave. He was a servant. Positionally, he was a son, but experientially, he was a slave. Let's say it again. So positionally, he was a son, but experientially, he was a slave. So even though he was a son in the house, he lived like a slave, not because he was a slave, but because he believed he was a slave. The problem wasn't his position. The problem was like his disposition. The problem was his understanding and his perception of his own identity. This older son, the issue was his belief system. If you look at the belief expectation cycle, his belief was I'm a slave. His expectation was my dad would never throw a party for me and my friends anyways. His behavior was he never asked. And his experience was he never got to have a party with his friends, which validated his belief that he was just a slave in the house. So he held on to those expectations that dad wouldn't give it to me even if I asked. So his behavior was he never asked. So his experience was he never got the party, which validated again the, probably year after year after year. The son lived in this reality where he was positionally a son, but experientially he lived as a slave. You know, you can actually be in the household of God. You can be a son, a co-heir with Christ in your identity, in your position, but experientially, day-to-day, you can live like a slave. Like, you can attend church on a regular basis. You can uh, be following the Lord faithfully and, and living for Jesus as hard as you can. But in reality, because you don't know your identity in Christ, you can be in the house but live like a slave. And the problem isn't that God's promise of your, your God-given identity in Christ, that that isn't good enough. It is good enough. The problem is, is that we need to have our minds transformed so that we can believe who God says that we are. Amen? Is this making sense? Is this speaking to you? Okay. God wants us to step into our identity. And here's the three things that the Father says. Look at it. He says, number one, the first thing he says, this is the last thing that's in the booklet. It says, and he said to him, Son, say it. You know what he's doing? He's pulling out him out of slavery and reminding him of his position. He's saying, renew your mind. Be transformed. Know who you really are. He says, son, he's trying to seal that in this, in this guy's life. 
You're a son. You're not a slave. The second thing he says to this is, you are always with me. Here's what I think about when I read that, that one little phrase that the father says in this passage. You're always with me. You know what I think about? The abiding presence of God in the everyday life of the believer. You know that God is always with you, that he'll never leave you, he'll never forsake you? You know how that changes your perception of every situation you face? If I face a really tough situation, and I believe a lie that God's a million light years away, but he's kind of looking through this telescope, like, kind of like this, like I'm looking at Pastor Jeff right now. Like, he's like peering over at me, like, okay, you're doing a good job. Well, look, he's messing up. Yep, he's messing up. He's going to mess up again, I bet, soon. Oh, there he goes. Oh, he did a good job. You know, like, we think, like, God's a billion light years away, just like, yeah, he messed up again. $3, he's going to mess up again tomorrow. You know, like, like they're betting the Trinity on us, and they're distant. And no, God's not a billion light years away. He's with us. So if I come into a really tough situation, and I feel like he's a billion light years away because I'm not believing correctly, you know what happens? Suddenly, I feel isolated. I feel overwhelmed. I'm filled with stress and anxiety. But if I come into a tough situation at work or with my family, or if God calls me to go and share the good news with someone and I feel really uncomfortable doing it, and the Holy Spirit's like, please go tell this person. You know what happens? I realize if I think, if I think he's a billion light years away and the Holy Spirit's like, go talk to this guy. And I'm like, okay, I don't, I don't like to do that. I don't know him. I don't want to talk to him. I'm introverted, God. Leave me alone. He's like, go talk to him. And I look at him like, hey, bless you, bless you, bless you. (laughs) If he's a million light years away, I'm going to pass 99% of the people the Holy Spirit leads me to. But what if I believe that the God of the whole universe is right here with me? And the Holy Spirit says, go talk to this young man. You know what I'm going to do? He's with me, the God of the universe. Yeah, boom. You know, he's going to get saved. He's going to get touched with the Holy Spirit. He's going to get healed. Why? Because the God of the universe is with me 24-7. You know, he says, son, you're always with me. When you start to step in your identity and you realize the abiding presence of the Father, you are unstoppable as a Christian. Even facing conflict, even facing tough issues, you walk into the workplace tomorrow morning and someone slaps something in your desk or you check this email and you're like, oh my, just remember, he's with me. Right now, the God of the universe, his presence is right here. And suddenly it changes that situation. If you want to get into evangelism and living on mission, one, you need to know that he says, son. And the second thing you need to know is I'm always with you. Because when he starts to call you to step out and talk to people and share the gospel, you've got to know that he's with you. Let me give you an example. A couple weeks ago, I was at the gym and this guy was working out to me and I literally thought he could die at any second. He was extremely, extremely old, like in his late 90s at the gym. And I'm like, man, this guy is awesome. (laughs) Like he is working out. I want to be like him when I'm 98, you know? And I'm like super impressed with this guy. And I'm just like, I'm kind of admiring him. Like, you know, and I'm telling you, this guy is frail. He probably weighs 100 pounds. He's like, you know, four foot nine, like been over. Like he has, he has lived a long life. You can tell. And I'm just admiring him. And the Holy Spirit's like, he needs to hear the gospel. And I was like, I don't want to talk. No, like, I don't want to. I'm working out. Holy Spirit, leave me alone. I got 10 minutes. I got to go home, you know. 
I got to leave the gym. Talk to him. Tell him about Jesus. No, I don't want to. I don't want to. I want to leave, right? And so I, I keep working out, and he's like, every time I look over at him, now instead of being like, wow, that guy's awesome, I'm just thinking like, what if he doesn't know Jesus and he dies and he goes to hell? The Holy Spirit asked me, and I'm like, oh, my gosh. Don't, stop. Don't lay that on me. You know, like, I don't want to think about that. He's like, what if he dies and goes to hell? And I'm like, oh, okay, okay, fine. If you make an opportunity, I'll, I'll talk to him. So finally, I'm over in another area. He comes over there, and, uh, and I just strike up a conversation. I said, hey, how are you doing? He's like, good. He's like, you know, got two and a half pound weights. He's like, you know, working out, and I'm like working out, and we're having a good time together, and I'm learning about him, and he's telling me about himself, and so I find out he's, he's a Jew, and then he tells me about his synagogue, and essentially, he goes to a synagogue that doesn't even really believe the Bible's real. I don't know. It's like most of, a lot of the synagogues in, in America, not only are they, they're extremely liberal. They, they basically believe in unitarian, uh, universalism, all kinds of crazy stuff. And so I'm talking to this guy. I'm like, have you ever read the Bible? He's like, no. And I was like, never read the Bible? He's like, no. And he doesn't know the Bible at all. And, and I was like, I realized, I was like, this guy has absolutely no idea. And I realized the Holy Spirit <clears throat> was leading me to him because literally he's standing on the edge of eternity. And the Holy Spirit wants me to get outside of my comfort zone and my busy schedule at the gym and understand that his heart is that this man would be born again. And so right there, I just felt the, the urgency and I started preaching the gospel to him and he hated it. He did not want to listen. In fact, he looked like Suddenly, there was like bug repellent, and he was a bug, and he wanted to get away. But I thought about it. I said, you know what? Like, when that man steps into eternity, I want that he had someone tell him about Yeshua HaMashiach, that someone told him about Jesus, the Messiah, his Savior, and his Lord, and that he didn't spend his whole life, and no one ever told him because they found out he was a Jew, and they wanted to respect his belief system. No, I wanted him to know about Jesus so the Holy Spirit could work in his life. And I just began to tell him, and he was like, okay, I got to go. And he walked away. And that was it. But in that moment, I had the trust that the Holy Spirit was with me because that was, that was a confrontative moment that I'm approaching a man twice my age that has another belief than myself, and yet I'm sharing him with him essentially that what he's always thought to be wrong is right. I'm really – that's a confrontive conversation to have with someone you just met but the sense of urgency from the lord was there in that moment that that man needed a chance to hear about jesus amen and i believe that now the holy spirit can use that moment to draw that man to christ but the only way that i'm able to approach that is to know that god's with me when i go up to those people because if i don't think he's with me and i think god's a million light years away i would have left the gym and not talked to that guy but in that moment, the Lord's like, I'm with you. Just go talk to him. Just love on him. I didn't preach at him, but I, but I did. I was very clear. Jesus came to save you. He died on the cross. He raised again. He is the Jewish Messiah. Like I was very, very clear. Why? Because he stand, this guy's standing on the edge of eternity. And I care about his soul. I care about where he goes uh, when he dies. Amen? Amen? The last thing that he says is what? What's the last thing the Father says in your book? So the last thing that he tells him is this. He makes him aware of his provision, his supernatural provision. He says, all that is mine is yours. 
Here's the last thing that I just want to say about that passage. He, he reveals that the Father is lavishly, ridiculously generous. Whoever Jesus is to you, he will be through you. That was one of the quotes we read at the beginning. If your perception of God is that he's stingy and far away, you'll be stingy and you'll be distant to people around you. But... If God is with you and present, and he's ridiculously generous, and all the blessings of heaven are available to you in Christ Jesus, and you realize that you have that, you know what happens? You'll be ridiculously generous. One time I was at a, at a, at a subway, and I'm standing in line, and I'm about to check out, and there's like 20 people behind me in line. There's a lot of people in the, in, in the subway, and, like, everyone was basically waiting for me to finish checking out. You know, like, it was, like, one of those moments at lunch hour where everyone's just, like, please hurry up so we can go, right? And I felt the Lord just said, buy the lady next to you, buy her lunch. And I was, like, this is going to be so awkward. Like, it's just culturally weird to be, like, I'm going to buy your lunch. You know, it's just, that's not normal, right? So it dis- I knew this was going to disrupt the moment for everyone. Like, everyone was going to stare at me if I did that. And I don't like people staring at me. So I was like, I don't want to do this. But the Lord was like, just do it. Buy her subway now. I'm like, okay, yes, sir. You know? So, so I was like, ma'am, I feel like I need to buy your sandwich. She's like, okay. I was, like, I was like, okay, great. And I looked at the guy and said, put her thing on mine. He's like, wow, okay. And so I pay, for her, uh, I pay for her subway sandwich. And I walk away. And the lady's crying. And I was like, uh, I was like, Bam, are you okay? And she said, she said, you have no idea what that meant to me. And I was like, you're right. I don't, I don't know. That's awesome. I'm so glad it blessed you. And she's like, no, you don't know. And I was like, okay. She's like, I lost my job several months ago. And I ate all my food. And I had no more food in my house. And I took my last $3 and came here to buy my last meal. And I didn't know what I was going to do. And I came in here, and you bought my meal for me. She's like, you have no idea. You know, she just, like, starts losing it. And she's like, what church do you go to? Like, she's asking me all these questions. Like, basically, it was like, how do I get saved? And I was like, oh, okay, this is easy. So I was able to lead her to the Lord and uh, tell her about my church and was able to minister to her. But it, beca- it was because of a display of radical generosity. Let me give you another example. One day I'm driving down the road. I'm heading to church. And uh, the Holy Spirit... I'm passing by a motel, like a really sketchy motel, and I see this woman and four children walking into the motel, and the Holy Spirit says, go give her $100 or something, like 50 or 100 bucks. Go give her money right now. And I was like, that is really weird. Like, no, I'm going to church. You know, I need to go worship you, right? I'm going to church. I got my family in the car. We're going, you know, leave me alone. He's like, turn around and give her money. So I turn around, I was, and Ellen's like, my wife's like, what are you doing? I was like, I got to go give this lady some money. She's like, what lady? <laughs> I was like, just hold on. So I go in there, and I was like, I was like give him some money. She had like $100. And, um, and, and I was like, this is a lot of money. I was like, okay. And so I go inside, and there's an Indian man, and he's standing there at the checkout line. And there's a lady there, and she's standing there with all of her kids and all of these bags. And I look at her, and I said, ma'am? And she said, yeah. 
And I said, the Lord told me to come in here and buy your hotel room. She goes, like, like, not like, not like a, oh, thank you. Like literally like, like she loses it and just starts flailing and crying uncontrollably. And I was like, oh my God. And I was like, okay, he's, uh, what's going on? You know? And the, and all of a sudden the Indian man, he starts to lose it. And this guy's a Hindu. He's like, oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. He starts crying. He's like, Ooh, and now the Indian guy, the Holy Spirit falls on him. And I'm like, oh my gosh. My wife comes and she's like, what is happening? Like she wasn't in there. She comes in. The mama's on the ground crying. The Indian man is losing it. He's like, I've never seen anything like this in my life. And like they're losing it. And she, this, this lady, she had nowhere to go. She was homeless with four kids. She just got kicked out. And she was literally at the counter asking the man if there was any way she could get a room for the day. And I walk in at the moment, and I literally pay for her room. And, like, not only did that touch her life and mark her, but in that moment, that Indian guy got rocked by the Holy Spirit. Why? Because when I know that all that is his is mine, and the Holy Spirit says, go bless that person with $100. You know what I can do? I can go bless that person with $100. When I'm standing in the checkout line and the Holy Spirit says, buy all that person's groceries. And I look and it's a lot of groceries. And I'm like, I don't want to do that. I can do it in the moment because the Holy Spirit will remind me, oh, yeah, I'm a son. And I have a father. And he's always with me. And everything that's his is mine. So right now for me to bless this person is my joy because I know God's going to supernaturally provide for me. Amen. You know, this year, my family, I will give away more money than I made my first year in ministry totally. My family will give, and I'm not saying that to brag, but what I'm saying that is, is there's a reality of, of supernatural generosity that only comes when you're walking in your identity. You guys, one of the most powerful ways to demonstrate the good news of Jesus is through radical generosity. Now be careful. Don't just give everyone money everywhere you go just because they ask you for money. But there's nothing more powerful than the Holy Spirit giving you an unction and saying, I want you to go and I want you to bless this person. I want you to do this for this person. Amen? God wants to seal identity in us. Stand up right now. We're going to have an activity. How many of you guys feel stirred right now? The Lord's just touching your heart right now as you're hearing this. I just pray a blessing right now over what the Holy Spirit's doing in your life. I, here's what I want to do. I want to do an activity, and we're going to hear from the Father as he rains down upon us, literally. We're, gonna, um, we're just going to listen to him. And here's what I think God wants to do tonight. I believe that God wants to liberate us from some of the lies that we struggle with. Some of the lies, like, I know that I struggle with in, in thinking, like, like, what you think of me determines my value and my significance. Like, that's a lie that's bondage. Because when I live in that lie, I'm, like, a victim to whatever you think. And, like, sometimes you just can't please certain people. And you get around them, and it's, like, if that diminishes your value for yourself, you're living in, in bondage, literally. But you can be free of that fear of man. You can be free of the fear of rejection, 
when you start to step into your identity and you start to believe about yourself what God says about you, not what other people say about you or what other people have said about you, lies that people have said. You know, and I realized one of the, um, one of the lies that I struggled with even in ministry, the Lord spoke to me about four or five years ago, and he showed me that even, even in ministry, I was slipping into this identity crisis of where I literally was transitioning to where I was, I was reverting back into starting to think that my performance determined my significance and my value as a son. And so based on the response of crowds and the number of people getting healed or saved, that, that, that I started to like identify that my significance and value was based on that. That's a really dangerous place to be in ministry. If you're in ministry right now and you're slipping into that, that's a slippery slope that you have to be liberated from. And the only way that I was liberated is the father spoke to me and he spoke to me one night and he said this to me. He said, he said, uh, I want you to start to believe this truth instead of that lie. Here's the truth that he gave me. He, he told me this. He said, you're my son and I'm proud of you. And when I heard that, it, it totally moved my heart in a way like that was just what I needed to hear. And it was in a quiet time of prayer. It wasn't like a big service. It was a quiet time of prayer. The Lord said, I'm proud of you. You're my son. You know what I started doing? I started declaring that over my life every day. And I started to get freed up from that bondage of performance. You know, performance is bondage. When you live in that performance mentality, God wants to liberate us from that and allow us to walk in our identities as sons and daughters. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray. And then I want you guys to close your eyes. And I'm going to actually declare some lies. Um, so as, so just, as the Lord brings them to my mind, these are going to be things that maybe you're struggling with that is a lie. And in fact, some of these, you may even question what's wrong with that. Because it's so ingrained in your mind, but it's so contrary to the word of God, but you've been living in that life for so long, it may seem like, well, that is true. But if it contradicts the word of God, even if it seems true, it's not true. Amen? God's going God's to gonna reveal some of those. And so tonight, we're going to ask the Lord to renew our minds and to transform us. Amen? And so what I'm going to do is if, if you hear something that I say that is not true, and you resonate and you say, I've been struggling in that area, I want you to raise your hand to the Lord and just say, Lord, I confess before you right now that that's something I've been struggling with. And then what we're going to do for the activity is we're going to practice hearing the voice of the Holy Spirit tonight. And I'm going to actually ask the Lord to come. And when he begins to speak to your heart, he's going to share with you, like, you know how he said to me, I'm his son and he's proud of me? He's going to say similar things to you that, like, you need to hear specifically in response to that lie. And what he's doing is he's going to give you truth in the place of lie. Because when you step into truth, the truth will set you free. Amen? And so we're going to embrace that truth tonight, and we're going to live in that. Here's what I believe. is Some of the things, like I'm, we're going to talk about evangelism in a minute, but some of what's about to happen in the next 10 minutes is going to do more for you sharing the gospel than anything you're going to learn in the future ever about evangelism. Because when you get liberated from some of these things, you're unstoppable for the kingdom of God. Amen? <laughs> And so this is going to help. What I like to say is, is until you get rid of the, the things that are keeping you from sharing the gospel, even if you have all the tools, you'll never use them until you get rid of those roadblocks. And these are some roadblocks that maybe you guys are facing. If you hear something from the Lord tonight, you guys are going to all have your eyes closed. But what I want you to do is declare out loud at the end, I choose to believe, and then say whatever it is that he says to you. So like for me, it would be, I choose to believe that I'm God's son, and that he's proud of me. 
And maybe for you, he speaks something different to you. And then if you hear that from the Lord and you sense that in your spirit or a scripture, just say, I choose to believe and then come into agreement with, with that statement and make that statement over your life. And what you're doing, essentially, you're stepping out of the lie and into the truth. Amen? Close your eyes. Let me pray. Father, thank you so much <clears throat> for making us your sons, making us your daughters, Lord, bringing us into our identity. Thank you for being here, Holy Spirit. Let your Holy Spirit presence just rain down right now and minister to us. Remind us of who we were made to be. I bind every spirit of distraction, confusion, and deception right now. I declare only the Holy Spirit can operate in this place. And I pray that the Holy Spirit would come and reveal the word of God, the truth of the scriptures to our hearts that we could be transformed in our minds right now. Help us, Lord. Help us, Lord. Father, just have your way right now. God, I pray for humility in this moment. Confession in this moment. Repentance in this moment, God, that we would turn away and turn towards you in Jesus' name. Just keep your eyes closed. If you struggle believing the lie that God is not going to take care of you, if you struggle with financial provision, lack, feeling like you've got to earn it, um, like you feel like you're the provider or you're never going to have enough, if, if, there's a, if there's a, you know, all that is mine is yours where the Father says that and you struggle in that area, would you just acknowledge that to the Lord? Say, Lord, I, I struggle believing a lie in that area. Amen. Like I struggle believing that everything that's yours is mine. If you struggle with the lie that you feel like God's a million light years away, like sometimes you're praying and you just feel like, I don't even know if God's hearing me. I don't even, I don't even think God's around me. Like, I don't even know where you are. I feel like you're so far away. If you struggle, that lie keeps coming back to you. Just raise your hand. You just feel like God's distant. Just acknowledge that to him right now. If you struggle believing the lie that you're not good enough, just acknowledge that to the Lord right now. I'm not good enough. If you struggle with the lie that says you're never doing enough, do more. And it, it's, like, it's like burning in you. Just you're not doing enough. You're not doing enough. It's like nagging. If you have that nagging, I'm not doing enough in you, just raise your hand right now. Just say, Lord, I acknowledge. I feel like it's just never enough. I always got to do more. I got to prove more. I got to do more to earn if you struggle with the fear of man, you said there's certain areas where just you feel scared. Like, what if they reject me or they yell at me or they don't like me? If you struggle in that area, just acknowledge that to the Lord. Say, Lord, I just confess the fear of man, that I've been living in the fear of man. If you struggle believing the lie that if people really knew who you were, they wouldn't like you. People got close to me, and they really knew they wouldn't like me. That's a lie from Satan. <laughs> There's people in this church that will love you just for who you are or whatever church you go to. And first of all, foremost, the Father, he loves you just the way you are. If you struggle believing the lie that you're bad, 
feel bad. I feel like I'm bad. I'm, I'm flawed. Bad. Just acknowledge that to the Lord right now. If you struggle with the lie that there's just sin in your life, there's issues, there's things that you've been struggling with, <clears throat> they're never going to go away. You're stuck. You're just stuck with those issues. Just raise your hand to the Lord. Just say, Father, I confess. I've just, I feel like there's things going on that I'm just never going to get out of, never going to get rid of. If you struggle believing the lie that God can't use you because of your past, just acknowledge that to the Lord. Say, God, I, sometimes I struggle thinking you can't use me because of the mistakes I've made. Maybe even you feel like there's certain things, there's a few things you did that are totally unforgivable. If that's you, just acknowledge that to the Lord. I feel like there's some sins, there's some things that God can't forgive. Just acknowledge that to him. If you struggle believing the lie that you're not a son, just acknowledge that to the Lord. Say, I don't, I don't feel like I'm a child of God. I just feel like a slave. I feel like I'm not good enough. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Just keep your eyes closed. There's so many people that were just responded. Um, and I just sense the Lord wants to come right now. Not me. I'm not going to give you prophetic words. You need to hear from him, not me. Not from pastor. Not from your neighbor. You need to hear from him. And I believe that there's some words right now that the Lord's going to give you that are just for you, to encourage you. But I want us to pray a prayer out loud together. So just, if you would, it's just going to be a prayer. What we're going to do is we're going to renounce the lie. Okay, so just pray with me. Say, Father, Father I confess the sin of believing these lies. I forgive anyone who's caused me to believe these lies. I release them tonight of any debt I feel like they owe me. And Father, I receive your forgiveness, your mercy. I receive your grace, your love. I break my agreement with this lie. I cancel my agreement with the kingdom of darkness. I plead the blood of Jesus over my mind, my heart, and I declare that I have the mind of Christ. And I want to only think his thoughts. Renew my mind. Transform my heart so I can live for you. And just put out your hands like you're receiving from him right now. Let's just pray together. Say, Father, in the place of the lie, what do you want me to believe?
if you sense the Lord said something to you, you guys can just keep your eyes closed, but I want you to make a declaration out loud so people can hear you. And I want you to say, I choose to believe, and then come into agreement with what he just spoke to your heart right now. So I don't know who wants to be the bold and courageous first one, but if he spoke something to your heart, I know some of you, you've already even heard from him, just declare it out loud. you haven't, if you don't feel like there's something definitive, ask him one more time. He's right here. Jesus said, my sheep, they'll hear my voice. A stranger, they won't follow. It's your destiny as a son and a daughter to hear God's voice every day, all the time. All the time. He wants to talk to you. He's giving you the Holy Spirit, not just to convict you of bad things, but to actually talk to you to remind you of all truth. So even right now, just ask him again if you need to. Just say, Father, I want to hear. What do you want me to believe? And just declare it out loud. Some of you guys, maybe you heard something and you feel scared. Break through that fear right now, and I want you to say it out loud, boldly. I choose to believe that I can do all things through Christ 